Passover is coming, so I thought it would be wise for us to talk a little bit about Passover. I uh, because you know one of the things that I'm always concerned about is that when we have a holiday celebration uh, or a special day, that it's just we're, we're more concerned about just you know did we celebrate the holiday, you know, uh, then does it does it bear some meaning in our lives? And so important that every time we come to Shabbat that it has meaning in our lives, that it's not just, you know what I always say, right? That it's not just, you know, I'm going to the service uh, and the service will begin, the service will end and and uh, there, I can check that off my list, you know, uh, but that it has meaning that we're interacting with God and with one another and uh, very important uh, that we live that way and that we are proactive and frankly, everything that we do, uh, you know, in life, but especially these appointed times with God and Shabbat is one of those appointed times uh, and so is Pesach, so is Passover. And I thought, first I thought, well, maybe if I just speak about it next week, that would be good, but then it's only a couple of days to the Seder. So I I thought, well, I think uh, maybe we'll start today, so that way during this week we'll be thinking about it. You know, so a week ahead of time, we're thinking about Passover, maybe taking a little bit of an inventory of our lives, where we stand with God and, and, and all of that, so that it really is indeed meaningful uh, uh, to us. And I'll say this, uh, that uh, part of uh, our uh, celebration of Passover uh, this year, we're even having a concert next Saturday night. Uh, uh, Dan and uh, Melissa David will be with us and uh, for a Passover concert. So really sort of getting in the mood of Passover, hopefully this week and over next weekend. And then uh, uh, the first Seder is on Monday night and then our community Seder next uh, next Tuesday night. And then celebrating Passover uh, throughout the week. Uh, and it, it is certainly, um, uh, it goes without saying, what an important holiday Passover is uh, uh, to us. And we want to understand a little bit about that today and next week. But actually, we're going to begin at the very end of Genesis chapter 3. Wow, what does that have to do with Passover? Okay, so Genesis chapter 3, if you've been uh, coming to services or listening uh, to the uh, podcast that we are uh, making our way through uh, Genesis. Sort of a lifelong journey, I think, we're making here. Uh, but we're uh, toward the end of chapter 3, and I thought, first I thought, well, we'll just hold off on it, but it really does uh, fit in quite well to what Passover uh, is all about. So we've been looking at chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We already looked at the, the beginning of chapter 3 of a few weeks ago, a number of weeks ago, about uh, the issue of choice and what Adam and Eve did. And then uh, two weeks ago, uh, we uh, looked at the ramifications of that, the judgment on the snake, on the, you know, on the man and the woman and all that. And now we come to uh, uh, verse 20 to 24. So let me read verses 20 to 24 of chapter 3. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and for his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out. At the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. All right. So we see here uh, the consequences of the sin and the consequences not only for Adam and Eve, but for 
all of humanity. So now we come back to the uh, narrative and we have now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all of the living. So it's interesting, uh, Chava is Eve and Chaya is life. And so there's a whole discussion about is it a, what does that mean? Is it the same word? Is it a different word? And, and all of this. Well, it's interesting that if you study the evolution of Hebrew, uh, there is evidence uh, that the Vav and the, that, you know, the Yud came into being uh, at some point. Uh, and that uh, uh, there was this interchange of the, of the Vav and the Yud. And so, given that it says, now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, it seems that most conservative people who believe the Scriptures see this um, uh, the relationship of the word Chava and Chaya. Uh, and uh, then the question becomes, why is it even there? Why is this verse here? Because, uh, first of all, nobody yet was born uh, when it says, uh, now the man called his wife named him because she was the mother of all the living. Okay, well, they, she wasn't the mother of anybody yet. Uh, I, when, uh, you know, in the time frame uh, here. But uh, perhaps uh, this is a statement, again, of the grace of God, just as we saw several weeks ago that God did not remove the blessings, Right? He did not remove the blessings of the land, the blessings of childbirth, the blessings of life, but now it all became a lot more difficult. It became a lot more difficult to embrace, a lot more difficult to live, a lot more difficult to experience because of sin, but God did not remove uh, the blessing, right? And so here, now in verse 20, as if to accentuate this fact, God has not removed the blessing of childbirth, that there's going to be more people, that the sin of, an, the sin of Adam and Eve did not mean the end of uh, the end, like mankind was, a, uh, was an experiment that lasted a very short period of time, and now we go back to the drawing board. No, Eve will indeed is the mother of all living. And, uh, and so that's, uh, you know, very interesting we don't need to worry too much about the tenses of that, but let's just say that it's written the way it is as if to say it's, a, it's done. Even if she hasn't had children yet, it's, it's done. And she will indeed, is indeed, the mother of all of the living. So here we are reading that God does not withdraw the blessing. And it's like he reassures us that he has not withdrawn the blessing. And then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and for his wife and clothed them. This is another great act of grace. That now that uh, Adam and Eve have sinned, they have to live with certain, co with certain consequences of, of life. And that God accommodates the new situation. He accommodates the new situation. He doesn't put up with sin, but he accommodates their fallen situation. By clothing them, he gives them skins to wear. He gives them clothes to wear. Uh, and, you know, that is, uh, that is a, um, a marvelous statement. It is an act of grace. God gives them what they need to continue. And, I mean, that just, I mean, I could just go on forever on that, right? I mean, can we all think of, of the fact in our own lives that, most of us uh, have, have totally messed up at some point or another, right? But God not only forgives, he not only forgives us 
and restores us to himself in the invisible relationship with God. But he, he makes accommodations oftentimes for the new situation we're in. And so for Adam and Eve and for all of mankind, God did not do away with us, but he, he gave us clothes to wear. Initially, we're all supposed to be naked in the Garden of Eden, enjoying just the whole situation there as we read, you know, in chapter 2, uh, basically. But now God accommodates for them. Now, you know, the, the entire giving of the Torah, frankly, is an accommodation that God makes for human beings. He gives us a way of life. May I suggest that initially that, that mankind was to have just this interaction with God and live, you know, and live for him. But because the first man and woman made the, the choice that they did, uh, that now we all suffer the consequences of that. Uh, and a part of that is uh, not being able to make those choices in, in an easy manner. And so God has indeed given us this is the way to live. Not only that, but in the coming of a Messiah, he, he pours on the grace by placing the Torah within us and gives us the Ruach HaKodesh. It's all grace and mercy because on our own, we would never be the men and women that God called us to be because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And so we see in this accommodation that God gives them clothes to wear, gives them garments to wear so that they could continue. Not in the, not in the ideal, not in the utopia uh, uh, Garden of Eden, but now he accommodates their situation so that they could continue. You know, I'm just thinking, thinking uh, right now, God gave the tabernacle for, uh, for the very same reason. Uh, you know, originally, at the beginning of Exodus chapter 19, it says there that the covenant was that they obey the voice of God. Well, they don't obey the voice. You have to take an MSI course on uh, Exodus or the Torah. We'll understand all about that. But they don't obey the voice of God. So then God gives them the stone tablets. They don't obey the stone tablets. And so God is going, God says, I can't go on with these people, right? But we end up with the tabernacle. We end up with a separation between the people and God to accommodate their sinfulness so that God could continue with them. God, by his grace, always provides a way. Okay, very, very important. Now, Let's continue here. Then we read, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was, uh, which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. All right, so now uh, we see again this statement. Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. We'll see it again, by the way, at the Tower of Babel. Uh, and uh, here, though, again, if you remember, when we talk about knowing good and evil, it, it has to do with making independent choices from God. The man and the woman don't know everything. It's not about omniscience, uh, and it's not about knowing all good and evil. In fact, what they thought was going to be uh, uh, 
wow, now we're going to know uh, all good and all evil, it turns out to be a total train wreck, uh, a total train wreck for them. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, let me just read this. This comes from uh, uh, someone who wrote a commentary. His name is Victor Hamilton. A very nice little sentence, a couple of sentences here. It says, alas, rather than experiencing bliss, they encounter misery. Rather than sitting on a throne, they're expelled from the garden. Rather than new prerogatives, they experience only a reversal. The couple not only fail to gain something they do not presently have, the irony is that they lose what they currently possess, unsullied fellowship with God. They found nothing and lost everything. So uh, what they thought was, wow, we're going to make this independent choice that becomes a train wreck. Uh, and, uh, and so now God has to protect them, in a sense, just from themselves. Because if they were to, evidently, if they were to eat from this tree of life, then there would be no hope. And that is a fascinating study in and of itself. We don't have, it's just a fascinating study in and of itself because in a sense what it is saying, that in order for them to be redeemed, they ultimately have to die. Isn't that interesting? That in order to be redeemed, they ultimately have to, they, in order to be ultimately redeemed, they cannot eat from the tree of life. They cannot live forever. And we who live now, you know, so long after that and with, so, with the Bible given to us, we understand it. That's why Yeshua had to die and be raised from the dead so that we can be raised from the dead because it is in the resurrection life where new life is, we find it in its totality. We experience a portion of it now you know, in the death and resurrection of the Messiah. But we all know that uh, there must be death and then resurrection. Uh, and so I find that to be absolutely fascinating right here in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. The great fear is that they would live, that they would not die. So it is very interesting because you do read back in verse 19 in the second part, right? Uh, because from it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay? Uh, what, that is part of, again, part of the judgment. But as we see here, and as part of the judgment is leaving the Garden of Eden, but what seems like it is like, uh, you know, something really horrible has happened, kind of turns out to be necessary, ultimately, for the redemption. And that is a great lesson for us all. Because sometimes things happen in our lives that seem really harsh and even to a point of, you know, maybe to our own, our own meaning of unfair. But sometimes we don't understand exactly what God is doing in the big scheme of things. And here, what may have seemed to Adam and Eve something really harsh is ultimately for their salvation is ultimately so that mankind can indeed be saved. And so they must leave the garden, right? And, and so God drove the man out. You know, the point of the word drove him out is so that we understand this comes at God's initiative. It wasn't that the man and the woman decided to leave the garden of Eden. That this is all coming from, from God. God is at work. And what he is doing, he is accommodating their new situation in order to ultimately bring redemption. 
Okay? And so, again, in our own lives, this is so important. Because for all of us, if we would have, think about the wrong choices that we've made in life and how God takes us and he moves us and we end up going out here and out here. But he begins to work in our lives maybe in a new and different kind of way. You know? Uh, he accommodates the situation because he loves us so much. Because he never leaves us or forsakes us. See? And, uh, and so how precious is, is uh, God in that, you know, in that way? Boy, you know, you could say God is not legalistic. He could have said, well, I made them to not wear clothes, and here they went and sinned, and so it's a lost cause. No, he accommodates the situation, okay, for our, for our benefit. And, and, uh, and so now, once man is out of the garden, blessing becomes difficult, choosing God becomes harder, sin becomes rampant, but God never gives up on them. And so it's in this context that we come to Passover. You were thinking, how do we get to Passover, right? So it's in this context that we come to Passover so that we remember who we are in the midst of this crazy world outside of the garden that we live in. Because given the situation, it's easy for us indeed to uh, forget uh, who uh, we are. Uh, and in fact, you know, speaking about this issue of God's desire to, uh, you know, he, he accommodates, this week's Torah portion is all about accommodation, right? It's all about those uh, offerings, all about those sacrifices. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, korban, the word means to draw near, draw near. They would draw near to God. Uh, and God's desire is to meet with man. And so, this became now the system, the way that God would meet with man. Uh, and uh, you can read the Jerash that I sent out. And uh, this afternoon, Peter is going to be leading the uh, Torah study you know, and, and talking all about that. But now the priesthood was necessary. The people would bring the animal, kill the animal, but the priests had to uh, deal with the blood you know, and, and what to do with the animal. And without that, it was just killing an animal. Right? Uh, and so now the priesthood becomes necessary and all that in this week's uh, Torah portion. We read all about it. But the point is, is that God never gives up on the people, but he provides a way out. And of course, Yeshua is the ultimate way out that God has provided, the ultimate accommodation that God has provided for us and uh, by uh, sending the Messiah to die for our sins and to be raised uh, from the, uh, raised from the dead. Well, when we come to Passover, Passover is a, uh, a holiday where we are called upon to remember who we are, to remember that uh, God is indeed the deliverer and, uh, and the redeemer. Now, of course, the holiday, the event of Passover itself was a historical event of bringing the Jewish people out of Egypt, right? And I trust that many of us are familiar with the basics of the story. I'm not going to repeat the whole thing here. But you know, the Jewish people were slaves and, and God raised up Moses uh, to bring the people out of Egypt and he sent plagues upon Egypt and Pharaoh would not let the people out. But then finally, the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn and God tells uh, Moses to inform the Jewish people of exactly what they need to do, 
how they needed to participate uh, in this redemption. They needed to kill a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and then God would pass over uh, their uh, their, uh, homes and they would be, so to speak, the firstborn would be saved by the blood of the lamb, which led to the people uh, leaving Egypt and going to the Red Sea, right? Where God with an outstretched arm and in a mighty way uh, parts the water uh, and therefore, and then all of Israel is saved out of, out of Egypt. Um, and, uh, and so very importantly, you read two things in the account of Passover. In chapter 11 and in chapter 12 of, of uh, Exodus, you read that God says, I'm going to spare the firstborn of Israel. But then in chapter 12, it seems like they have to do something in order to be spared. And they do. They have to kill the lamb. They have to, on the four, you know, they have to keep it for four days and they put the blood on the door and then they eat the lamb and, and so on and so forth as the, as, the text, uh, as the text says. And this is exactly like those offerings that you read about in, in, uh, in Leviticus where the people had to bring the lamb or the animal. Do you ever notice this? At the beginning, it says that the peop- they had to instruct the people to bring the animal. And the people kill the animal. But it's the priest who distributes the blood on the altar. That's very important. The people had to participate in what was taking place. Very, very important. We are called upon to participate in what God does in our lives. We are called upon to make right choices. We're called upon to embrace the Messiah. We are called upon to walk in the ways of uh, holiness and, uh, and of righteousness. That is all part of demonstrating life in Messiah. We are called to be proactive in our walk with God. That's why we talk about prayer. That's why we talk about reading the Bible. That's why we talk about spiritual disciplines. We are called upon to participate. And so we see that in the Passover story. But the question then becomes for us, okay, I understand the story itself, but we're living thousands of years later. Why are we... What does it mean to observe the Passover? What does it mean to celebrate uh, the holiday? Well, we read in chapter 13 of Exodus right away. Actually, it's in chapter 12 too. But but in chapter 13, we read right away that there is this legacy, the Passover legacy. It's a good name. The Passover legacy of remembrance. Very rarely do we read anything like this in the Bible. So you read here, In verse 14 of chapter 13, it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Then you shall say to him, with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And it came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man, the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord... Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. So it shall serve as a powerful sign on your hand and as phylacteries on your forehead. For with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And so the the main point here is, is that right here in the text, we are to continue to observe Passover. Now, we don't offer firstborns of our animals and and all of that, but we do have a Passover Seder. And so we have a mandate from God 
that at the Seder, we're supposed to explain why, why we're doing this and what God did. So right away we see that we're not just supposed to uh, you know, uh, remember it intellectually or just uh, religiously, but that we're called upon to pass it down to future generations. Called upon to pass it down. Now, so then when you go to uh, places like Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, of course, uh, takes place on the plains of Moab when Moses is giving his last messages. And we read uh, here, uh, for example, about Shabbat. Right? It says in verse 15. See, what's interesting is that the command in Exodus 20 takes place many, many years earlier, right? And there the command is about how God is the creator, right? how God created. Here, just before they enter the land, an additional reason is given for uh, uh, Shabbat. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. They're about to enter the land. They needed to remember who they are, not just make the seventh day special, but Shabbat represents who you are. And remember that God brought you out of Egypt. This is where you come from. Never forget that God brought you out of Egypt because that has to do with the fact that God is a deliverer. Never forget the fact that God is a deliverer and never forget uh, that there is a calling on your life. Uh, uh, and in fact, uh, never forget that it is out of, uh, it is by bringing, being brought out of Egypt, that you know, uh, you know where you're headed. Because what do we read in Exodus chapter 6? That I'm going to bring you to the promised land. I'm going to bring you uh, to the land that I promised your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it's important that as they're going into the land, that they remember where they came from. Because remember that this generation did not have this personal uh, memory, did not have this, this memory, but this is their communal memory. This is their ethnic memory that they came out of Egypt. And every year when we celebrate Passover, we remember, after all, you and I have not been redeemed out of Egypt. Most of us never lived in Egypt. How many of you have been to Egypt? A few. But none of you were slaves there, okay? Uh, gotcha, all right. Uh, and, uh, and so this is something that happened thousands of years ago, far removed from our world, far, far removed from, from uh, the issues of uh, raising children and living in this world and dealing with the culture. We're so far removed from what happened 5,000 years ago but see, even to this very day, we're called to remember who we are. And who we are is the people that were redeemed out of Egypt, right? Uh, when the Jewish people uh, got into the land, what is the first thing that they, uh, one of the first things that they did? They celebrated Passover. Isn't that interesting? They celebrated Passover uh, when they got into the land. Yes, it was at the right time, but may I suggest it was not coincidental. Oh, it happens to be this time of year, you know? But on purpose, God brought it about in such a way that they remembered where they came from. As they were entering the promised land, they remembered where they came from. If you jump over to the book of Ezekiel in the 20th chapter, there we read, uh, now Ezekiel is talking to the people in exile. 
and is reminding them of the grace of God of bringing the people out of Egypt. Okay? Uh, you can turn there. Uh, in the early verses around uh, verse 9, 10, 11, and 12 in Ezekiel chapter 20, uh, Ezekiel brings up Egypt, even though they're, they're in Babylon, and about the grace of God, and that they didn't deserve to even be brought out of Egypt, but God brought them out anyway uh, to encourage the people in Babylon so that they would remember where they came from and that God is the deliverer. Never forget Egypt. You read it over and over again. Remember how I brought you by the hand and led you out of the land of Egypt. You read it uh, in other places. You read it in, um, in uh, Leviticus, chapter 25, in the very last verse, that there were slaves in Egypt and they were redeemed. Therefore, they should treat people with equity, right? Remember where you come from. Remember that you were redeemed out of Egypt. Remember what Hosea says in chapter 11, which later gets applied in a little bit of a different way to Yeshua? Out of Egypt I called my son. Over and over again, the prophets bring this out. It's in the Psalms, it's in the Torah, it's all over the Bible. Don't forget that I brought you out of Egypt. We need to remember that we are a delivered people. We need to remember that we are a called people to live for God, to demonstrate the way of life. That's what Isaiah means when he says we are his, his uh, witnesses. And Passover reminds us of where we are going, the direction that we're heading, you know, ultimately to the ultimate uh, redemption. And all of this comes because Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and were basically driven out of the garden and everything became more difficult. But you see, God never gave up. And we'll eventually get there, but God raised up Abraham, right? To be the father of a people who would be the messianic people, who would ultimately, who not only are called to demonstrate the way of life of knowing God, but, but out of whom would come indeed the Messiah, Messiah uh, Yeshua. And we now are living in, in the days after the coming of the Messiah, and whether we're Jewish or Gentile, we, you know, we can now embrace the uh, king, the messianic, uh, uh, the messianic king. And by embracing the messianic king, of course, therefore we are one in Messiah, and that there's a whole lot we could talk about there. Uh, but you see how much God loves us that uh, he provided the way out. And the Egyptian historical event of the deliverance uh, is is supposed to be the um, you know the uh, the, um, the the moment that we always look back to to remember that God is indeed the deliverer and that is what has kept the Jewish people moving forward through all of the varieties of persecutions and you know and uh, so on and so forth. Now the scriptures also teach us what happens when we forget. You know, in the book of Judges. We read there in the second chapter, in the 10th verse, it says this, And all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them. That's after the generation of the people who entered the land of uh, Joshua and so on, who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out from the land of Egypt, 
and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus, they provoked the Lord to anger. One of the biggest problems that we have today as a people is that we have forgotten where we come from. We have forgotten that deliverance and the calling that God has placed in our lives as a result of that deliverance. And we, we come up with all kinds of reasons for being. And this is true not only uh, of our people Israel, but for all of us as a called people of Messiah followers. There are many causes for which we get all excited about. But we need to remember the ultimate cause, the cause of Yeshua, that we are called to be witnesses of Messiah Yeshua in this world, and that we are, yes, to demonstrate the ethics and morality of being Messiah followers, but to also uh, be people who are uh, sharing this great message with our people, with Jewish people and, and all people, right? But also to be handing it down from generation to generation. How important is that for us? What did Yeshua say at Passover? Yeshua said, first of all, needless to say, he identified himself with the Passover lamb, right? He identified himself with the the Passover lamb who brings deliverance. When we embrace the Messiah, the blood of Yeshua is on our heart, and uh, the, the wrath of God passes over us. It's kind of, you know, it's a, as simple as that in, in, in a way. Uh, and, and so when Yeshua was celebrating Passover and he identified himself with the uh, lamb and the blood of the lamb, what does he say? He says, uh, for example, in Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 19, that he is indeed the Passover. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we are also called to remember where we come from, to remember the deliverance. That is what gets us through the difficulties of life, to remember who we are in Messiah, to remember that calling on our lives, that I have been delivered. This is who I am. Therefore, this is how I respond to the situations that take place in my life. And that is exactly what God said to Israel. Remember that you were redeemed out of Egypt. Therefore, this is how you treat people. Remember how you were redeemed out of Egypt. Therefore, remember that I will redeem you again. Remember how you were redeemed out of Egypt. That is what I will do to your enemies. And so for thousands of years, in every kind of horrible situation, including including the Shoah, including the Holocaust, there is this understanding that God is at work. We don't understand why. And if we're not really built up in understanding it, it's easy for us to fall by the wayside and not remember it and just be angry with God forever and to be bitter and, and all of that, unless we remember who God is and what he has done. That is why Passover is so important to us. We are called to participate in our walk with God, and we are called to participate in the Passover, not just by having great food and a good time and reading through the Haggadah, but notice, in closing, what we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You know it. In verse 7. Clean out the old leaven, that you might be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Messiah, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Let us, therefore, celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so this is a season 
really for us to do this, right? We should do it all the time, but this is a great season for us to do that. Clean out the old leaven that you might be a new lump, so you might be who you really are, right? Cleaning out the old leaven means, you know, pray, Lord, show me the sin in my life and confess the sin in my life and, uh, you know, things of that nature uh, uh, because Messiah is our Passover. He has been sacrificed. Let us celebrate the feast with the new leaven, right, of sincerity uh, and, uh, and truth. And so may, over the course of this week, we take time to, uh, to do that, to be unencumbered, to confess the sins of our lives, and to be able to come to the celebration of Passover uh, experiencing all over again deliverance in our lives. I, and, uh, and so may we remember, first, where we come from when, it come, when we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. May we remember where we come from when, I, I, when we talk about being delivered out of Egypt. May we remember where we come from when Yeshua came into this world and died for our sins and was raised from the dead. And may we remember where we come from when we think about when we embraced him and made him, you know, we recognize that he was the Messiah and we confessed our sins and ask Him to come into our lives. And may all of that energize us as we encounter new situations all the time in our lives. Yes, God has accommodated uh, uh, for us because of our sin, by sending the Messiah uh, into our uh, world to die, to take our sins upon Himself, and to be raised from the dead. And uh, may uh, that be something that we always remember. Let's pray. Lord, uh, God, thank you, Lord, that you have always provided for us. Thank you, Lord, that, um, in that in Messiah Yeshua is indeed the provision that we can jump through hoops, we can do all kinds of things, but without Messiah Yeshua, we're still stuck in our sins. And so, God, we thank you that uh, we have indeed been delivered and we've uh, indeed been delivered today in our own lives. Lord, do, hopefully delivered from fear, delivered from anxiety, delivered from uh, worry, uh, uh, delivered from failure, and all of that to serve you, to be free, to live for you. Lord, the world is indeed watching. Lord, may we make a difference. And we thank you, God. May we always remember who we are, where we come from, and indeed where we're going. Pray in Yeshua's name.